Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Good afternoon and welcome along to today's edition of The Profile with me, Justin Briley. This is the programme that brings you interviews with Christians in all walks of life. And you can find more interviews at Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like a free sample copy of the latest edition, go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Well, today on The Profile, I'll be speaking to two people both involved in multicultural ministry. One of them is Reverend Israel Olafinjana. He has the unusual experience of having been a black minister to a predominantly white congregation. We'll hear from him in the second part of today's show. But in this first segment, I'm speaking to Malcolm Patton. Today on The Profile, I'm joined by the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Patton. He's Senior Pastor at Blackhorse Road Baptist Church in Walthamstow. That's in East London. He's previously ministered at churches in Tottenham and Croydon. And uh, his doctoral thesis was based on research into multicultural ministry. In fact, his new book, published by SBCK, is titled Leading a Multicultural Church. Uh, So welcome along to the programme, Malcolm. Thank you. It's great to have you with me. You're a Baptist minister. Um, Did you kind of grow up Baptist? Was that your, your root Yes, I uh, grew up in the Baptist church in a, a council house estate in Hartlepool. Uh, it was a church that my mother actually had been uh, found a member of um, as the estate was being built and they decided to plant a ministry there. Um, my father was uh, became a Christian after his father died and he was invited along to the church. And um, they came together and... The rest is history, history. <laughs> so so yeah. you experienced a call, I guess, at some point uh, in your life. Was was that uh, as an adult, or did you kind of have that from a young age? No, we had a. We actually had an American youth pastor for a year um, in my when I was about fifteen, and he had a big impact on my life. And was building the youth ministry suddenly became very dynamic, and he challenged me about whether I was simply following in the footsteps of my parents coming to church or whether it. I actually uh, um, believed in who Jesus was and and was committed to following Christ. And that led me to a period of reflection on that. And then I just felt a growing sense within me that Jesus was who he said he was. And that if he was, then it either... If he wasn't, then I might as well stop going to church. Mm. But if he was who he said he was, then that demands everything of me. Mm. And so from that point on, I began to, he encouraged me, discipled me. And when he went back to the States, I kind of picked Mm. up some of the leadership responsibilities. And by the time I was about uh, 2021, feeling the call to ministry. And uh, I think I was 23 years old when I went off to uh, train at Spurgeon's Baptist College. Yeah, Yeah, so Spurgeon's um, being Spurgeon's in London. Yeah. but you weren't from London. Was it a big change for you going to the down south? Yeah, it was a dramatic change. I thought I'd come a long way coming from the northeast uh, to to London. Um, I remember my uh, area minister saying to me, God, why don't you go to Manchester? And I thought, if I'm going to leave Hartlepool, I want to go to London. <laughs> you know, I want to be there. So I went there and I thought I'd come a long way. And I looked around and I hadn't come any distance at all. Right. Because I found I was surrounded by people who'd, who'd crossed the planet to be here. Yeah. And that just completely uh, blew my mind, really. It and was a really cosmopolitan kind of melting pot of different nationalities. Yeah, the different nationalities, the, the, the diversity of it all. And I experienced that in the college, mm. two of, who became my closest friends. One was from Trinidad, one was from uh, Nigeria, Nigerian-British. And and in my student placement church, just trying to do church, but with people, mm. you know, you always have people of different ages yeah, and different, yeah. um, perhaps social economic backgrounds are used to that, but the, yeah. bringing the ethnic diversity into was, it. Was this the first time really you were encountering Christians from uh, Africa, the Caribbean, other parts of the world? Yeah, there were, very, there were a few people who would, mainly because of the hospital, who would come and do a placement at uh, the hospital in Hartlepool and maybe come along to the church, you know. Um, I have memories of occasional people, you know, say from the Philippines who were uh, working in the hospital. Um, we, my parents were very enthusiastic about world missions, so we often had the missionaries stay in our house and come mm. and tell us 
the stories and she was photographs of things. And so in a sense, I had this world view. I kind of, I think I dreamt of traveling the mm. world. And uh, when I came to London, I found my niche, if you like, mm. and my calling um, amongst uh, yeah. seeking to build multicultural churches. Obviously, these were fellow Christians. What did you find different, though, about the way they worshipped, the way they thought about God that perhaps wasn't part of your experience up to that point? Yeah, I think the um, people's customs, traditions, um, a birth, um, uh, weddings, uh, at, uh, uh, funerals were very, very different. Mm. You know, I'd only ever been to funerals, a kind of traditional English funeral. Mm. And the idea mm. of, I remember as if it was yesterday, the first time I did a funeral where I said the coffin was going to be open. Mm. And Is know, that traditional from the Caribbean specifically? Or from Africa. From Africa. It would yeah. be very common. And uh, in other places too. And, you know, that wasn't something that was part of my experience. And mm. I remember thinking, how am I going to cope? You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we like to shut away I, the dead person, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. And, but they, I began to appreciate the different, um, uh, what the different perspectives mm. offered, what the different ways of doing things offered. Mm. They, like you say, you, you can kind of shut yourself away from that. But they you know would be much more likely yeah. to be involved in that and I, I, the- my, my wife who also ministered mm. uh having not really had much experience yeah. in multicultural ministry for a year in yeah. in a church in tottenham actually this was one of the things that really struck her was her first time experiencing uh, yeah. a funeral yeah. um and uh the mourning that accompanied it uh yeah. um, in a family that yeah. were i think from originally from africa and yeah. uh, there was a sort of an open house thing going on yeah. and people would just come through the course of the day yes. And the children weren't excluded. The children yes. were there. And often, I think, in a more white Western sort of culture, we tend to kind of shield mm. children from the yes. reality of death and yeah. all of that. But this was all very much open. There were emotions being expressed yeah. very openly. Um, but there was actually something very honest and real she found about that compared to the way often in, in a perhaps Western British context, yes. you, you tend to yeah. sort of try and sanitize it all a bit yes, yes, um, so was that yes. your experience at all and and that is um very much and uh you know you would sometimes find yourself being invited in you know it's it's typical for example people from jamaica they, they would have this nine night the ninth night after uh, the, the person had passed and people would come round to the house and there'd be a kind of expectation that the minister might uh, lead with scripture or mm. prayer or so you're finding your way and you're having yeah. to um you know just sense what's what role do i play in that setting which is different and, and yeah. unusual uh, other ways as well i mean i found that often people from other cultures would insist on calling you pastor um, or minister, they they wouldn't want to use your first name, Malcolm. Right. A sense of of reverence, respect that reverence, is... respect, hierarchy, um, which you felt a little bit uncomfortable with. Yeah, I I think to begin with, you think, please call me Malcolm, yeah. call me Malcolm, and but no, I I want to call you pastor. Mm. And I remember thinking about this with my um, colleague when uh, Rupert when we were in Croydon, and we talked about this, and in the end, we decided that we would. Um, use uh, Pastor Rupert, Pastor Malcolm, or Rupert Malcolm in the news sheet so that people could feel free. Right. If they wanted to call us Pastor yeah. or Pastor Malcolm, yeah. they feel yeah. free to call us Pastor Malcolm. If you want to just call me Malcolm, that's okay as well. And I think that was part of the um, negotiation, if yeah. you like, in terms yeah. of uh, figuring out how yeah. to yeah. Uh, operate within a multi ethnic environment. Now, Generally speaking, uh, churches in the UK and probably in the USA as well yeah. are, are often split down different colour lines. Right. Churches that are in the vast majority white, yeah. churches that may be in the vast yeah. majority black. That may be from different parts of the world, yeah. um, but, but nonetheless, there, there, there often are the, the, a black and a white church yeah. kind of thing going on. And normally you might expect to see a white church led by a white leader, a black church perhaps led by a black leader. Yeah. Now, interesting, I've spoken recently to uh, an example that went against that, um, a black church leader leading mm. a predominantly white mm. church. And in your case, I suppose you, you have been a, a white church leader often leading predominantly black churches. Mm. Does that kind of involve any different kind of dynamic? What, what are the kind of issues that that might 
bring up when, when the leader of the church is, is one colour and most of the people attending are, are of a different culture and, and colour themselves? Yeah, it's probably slightly different if it's a predominantly white uh, congregation with a black pastor than, than a, mm. a, a, a black uh, congregation or a, a mixed congregation following a white pastor. Um, I think from the sense of the point of view that when people uh, who are from, particularly those who are from the former colonial um, British colonial countries, um, where they've been used to having white figureheads and then they come into this country and they've adapted to the fact that mm. their boss may be white mm. and their mm. head of the government may be white and the mm. head of this may be white, the person in the bank is white. I remember one um, man telling me about the importance of taking his children um, to uh, Antigua, where he was from, so that they could see that the head of the army, the head of the police, the head of the bank was, was black and Caribbean, so that they understood that they could aspire to these mm. uh, positions. But coming back to your question, um, I think the dynamics that uh, we have to reflect on is, is how, do, how are people perceiving you? Um, uh, do do uh, what what dynamics do, if you're uh, a white pastor like myself are people uh, treating me in a way um, equally because some people may kind of defer to you yeah some people may because of a historic kind of association yeah. that there may be with yeah with, with that's how they did things in their own right. culture they yeah. they, you know, they, they tra- treated the, the pastor or the, the leader of the church and, and what's your friends. response to that are you wanting to to sort of try to to go against that a bit or mm. or say okay that's that's their culture i guess that's the way it is i mean how do you kind of i guess it's a, it's a tricky thing sometimes to, to navigate mm. that i mean looking at leadership and i i found it helpful drawing on a guy called hofsted who was um uh who looked at uh organizations he actually looked at ibm right across the world and how people in different cultures responded within organizations and he talks about emotional distance and that in countries say like Britain, we might have a low emotional distance. And what he means by that, or a low power distance, and what he means by that is that employees feel kind of, if not on an equal plane with their uh, boss mm. or their leader, um, fairly close and yeah. able to criticise, able mm. to say, well, I don't think that mm. we should do it that mm. way. I think we should do it this way. And he observed that other cultures had a much wider power distance mm. and therefore there was a reluctance to counter what was being said. Or, and you find this when you're dealing with um, a leadership team. When you have a diverse leadership team, you begin to realise that there may be somebody who never really questions what you say. Mm. And I know one of one of my um, guys who uh, uh, is part of my leadership team. He would uh, I would ask him what he thinks about something, and he would tell me a story from mm. back home. Mm. And it's his way of kind of saying, "Well, we did it differently back yeah. home," but yeah. he's not going to say to me, "Well, I think you're doing it wrong. Right. I think <laughs> this is a better way." Or yeah. how about this? He'll just tell me a story and then say, "You know, but it's fine, whatever right. you think." Yeah. And so I think it becomes a challenge for me to become aware of that. To uh, what Hofstede calls this emotional distance to become more vulnerable, more open mm, to mm. say, well, actually, I think you're trying to tell me something yeah, about yeah. Um, you. Would, there's a different way that you used yeah. to do it, or that you could suggest it could be helpful to us. Yeah. And for him to become more vulnerable to say, it's okay, you yeah. can yeah. lay it out. Yeah. Um, we're not trying to be each other, but yeah. we're trying to understand how each other tick and make it creatively. Mm positive um beneficial for us all do you find yourself having to adapt the way you do a sermon the kind of stories and references you might make the way you lead worship generally the way you minister to people as well just on a pastoral level yeah it's a big question but but what is that kind of gap and how do you how do you cross it for me, coming down from the northeast into the southeast and, and into London is a cultural bridge in itself because mm. um, I find that you know the culture of the northeast and the, if you like the working class, the the experience that 
we had of industries closing in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up and the high unemployment and coming out of that experience was quite a challenge coming down to London. Not a challenge in a sense, but you have a different perspective on mm. life and politics and everything than mm. sometimes people from the southeast. So in a sense, I have my own cultural bridge yeah. to cross and realise that people treat me differently because of my accent. Mm. When I first came to London, um, you know, people would think of Paul Gascoigne and Jimmy <laughs> Nail. And, you know, these were characters that um, weren't always the best uh, <laughs> example. I mean, OK, Paul Gascoigne's a great footballer, but uh, off the field. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, so that's part of it, in a sense, my own journey. But also I uh, think that um, just how we... Um, hear one another, how we respond to one another, and, and how we overcome some of the prejudices mm. um, that are there, because I think we all carry prejudices and becoming aware of them and seeking to reduce our prejudices yeah. um, is, is very important. How, how very often we're kind of blind to our prejudices yeah. though we often people say well i'm yeah. i'm not racist i'm not prejudiced yeah. you know I, yeah. I, I believe all people are equal but yeah. but what are the ways in which we often ha- don't tend to see our own prejudices uh, in, yeah. in that way i mean did you have to learn to, to recognize your own sort of perhaps you know things you never realized were yes you do and i i think it's encouraged by the fact that sometimes we're a little bit afraid of how to approach people mm. um you know, somebody has an accent that we're not used to and, and we kind of think, oh, it's hard to understand what a person's saying. You can end up just avoiding that person yes. because you don't want to be in the embarrassing situation yeah. of having to say, I'm sorry, mm. I, I, I didn't yeah. catch that. Rather than throw yourself in and get used to it such that after yeah. a little while it, yeah. you, you hear it perfectly. And I think uh, there's an example I use in the, in the book which I thought really summed up. I, I read some theory about how um, when we, uh, the way prejudice works is that we have our stereotypes, you know, we have an idea as to, mm. about people and it may be because of ignorance, um, it may be because we've had a bad experience with some people and we assume that everybody from that uh, background is the same. But we we might say, oh, well, Jamaican people are like this. and But then we discover a Jamaican friend who's not like that. Mm. Um, but then we think, oh, they're an exception. Mm. And then we discover another, we've got Jamaican neighbours, and we find that they're not like that either. But rather than change our stereotype, we stick with our stereotype mm. and assume that everybody we're meeting <laughs> is an exception to, to the, the rule. rule. Yeah. And I think that's some people are able to see that and respond to it much more quickly and mm. say, well, actually, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not being fair to how I think Jamaican yeah. people are. Um, some people can be very stubborn and they'll stick with their stereotype, yeah. even though everybody they know <laughs> from that uh, uh, cultural background yeah. actually is, yeah. it doesn't really uh, meet. Plus, I think as well, culture changes all the time. So... You know, my wife, who's from, uh, her parents came over from Jamaica um, in the uh, late 50s and uh, early 60s. Um, You know, my wife is different to them. Mm. She's grown up in this country. She's um, uh, she's growing up in North London. So she she can do the Jamaican thing. She can be, (laughs) when she's at home, she talks a little bit more like them. She understands the culture and everything. Um, but she also is a is a is a product of North mm. London, in yeah. you know, and the television programs, the music, the things that she likes, the way she likes to dress, will be more to do yeah, with a person sure. of her age who's grown up in North yeah. London. Yeah. And our child, it will be different again. She mm. loves the fact mm. that she's um, uh, she has Jamaican grandparents, yeah. and she loves the fact that she has uh, family in Hartlepool. Yeah. Um, But she, again, is a different generation and she's grown up in a multicultural school. And so her outlook is is different again. So I think also with prejudice, it's also realising that um, uh, you can't... uh, 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 Another example, a guy came into our congregation 
and uh, a Nigerian guy, and I was immediately going to introduce him to other Nigerians mm. in, the, in the church so that he would feel at home. Yeah. And, and then I was talking to him, and I realised that his experience growing up and what he was involved in in his work in the city, he had more in common with, with some other guys right, who yeah. worked in the city, yeah. and they would be to help him settle yeah, yeah, into church sure. life. He would yeah. have more, you know? Yeah. And so you can make a presumption yes. that, okay, you're Nigerian, let me introduce you to mm, other Nigerian yeah. people in the church. And, and I'm looking at myself thinking, why am I doing that? Yeah. It's just a natural yeah. reflex yeah. to help yeah. people feel at home. But actually, once beyond his, um, the fact that he's of Nigerian descent, actually his, um, his life is, is, is lived with, you know, in a very diverse... Yeah, um, sure. Uh, atmosphere within well, the city. I was going to ask, uh, in the course of doing what you do uh, with the church, are there, are there any kind of particular lessons that stand out, you know, moments, experiences, people that, that kind of have really taught you a lesson as you've, as you've kind of developed your ministry? Things that embarrass me? Uh, <laughs> Maybe, it could be. <laughs> Whatever you're willing to, to suggest, I'm really. To say. I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, I you learn a lot, um, and I think you have to be open to learn all the time. Every mm. week, I see you know you see something mm. new that you didn't think about, and it just comes at you. I mean, the most embarrassing experience I uh, goes back some years in in, in my Tottenham days, and mm. it was a a couple who uh, had just had a baby and said, "Oh, Pastor, are you going to bring the baby to church on Sunday?" And I thought, "Oh, that's great." And they turned up on Sunday, but they turned up all ready for a, a christening, a, a blessing, as we call it, oh, right. a dedication with all the family and everything. Oh, goodness. And, and I hadn't planned for that. No. And I mean, now I would just go with the floor, but then I just froze and thought, oh, we haven't planned this. <laughs> because I didn't know that coming to church, I'm bringing the baby to church, the first time they bring it to church means that they're going to they're gonna, want the, the, the blessing straight away. Blessing, because yeah. English people take take months to figure <laughs> to get round and, and to come to plan it meticulously. Times. Yeah. Um, so I think that was my most embarrassing uh, moment <laughs> that I tell, and I still feel the pain of that. But I always say to people, I travel the world through the people I meet, mm. and I found that I find people. Um, I'm thinking of my friend from Argentina, and I sit and talk with him. And I learned so much about his experience of coming mm. into a different country, of having to learn the language, um, and of, of studying and of yeah. building a career, mm. of getting a house, of, mm. and seeing it from his perspective, and learning about Argentina and the way the church in Argentina, which is very fervent mm. and growing, you know, very... Yeah. But, Seeing his perspective as his cross cultures, yes, and becoming, in a sense, seeing some of the good sides, but also some of the downsides of yeah. church in Argentina, yeah. and then also bringing that critical insight. Yeah. And I find people of cross cultures often are able to um, set themselves apart yeah. to be more self-critical yeah. of your own culture yeah. as well as um, Ma- the, many the people that you step into won't have had the opportunity that yeah. you've had to to immerse yourself in a variety of different cultures they may live in a, in a fairly monocultural kind of setting in yeah. their part of the country yeah. Yeah. surrounded by people who are essentially yeah. the same as them what what can christians do in that environment say in a church where they're aware i want to be more open but i'm, I'm aware that i don't have the opportunity are there yeah. practical things you could do is you know would you recommend a church you know do a pulpit swap with a, perhaps a church of you know mm. a, a black church saying mm. a white church pulpit swap or mm. or doing something to kind of just change change things up a bit yeah i i think um people are, don't live as monoculturally as they think they do mm. a lot of the time um i think yes you hear oh we don't need to think about this because we don't have any people from other countries yeah. around where we live um i mean that's becoming increasingly less so in in britain but even uh if you do like in for myself from Hartlepool in a monocultural area, actually, when you scratch below the surface and begin to ask people, well, you know, who are the people that you've met in mm. your life from different countries or nationalities? People sometimes have something in their a grandparent mm. was from this country yeah. or that country. Yeah. Um, they, um, they may have been to university and come back and they may... 
um, of interactive people. You put on the television and you're mm. interacting with um, uh, influencers from around the world. You read the newspapers and these issues are always on the front mm. of the newspapers and you're making opinions, you're mm. having opinions mm. from what you read in the newspaper. Yeah. So you do live in a multicultural world, even if you're living in a monocultural or yeah. appear to be yeah. living in a monocultural yeah. village or yeah. town or city in, in the UK. And I think to become aware of that, actually, that you are immersed in the multicultural world, even though on the face of it, it may not be as obvious, mm. I think is um, important to note. I think as well, I mean, again, churches through mission, uh, you know, churches usually support mission organizations that serve people abroad. Mm. And I think we can think about how we... Um, how we approach that because sometimes it can be very patronizing yeah. and we're not really treating them as an equals we've mm. seen it these are people who we're going to help yeah but then everybody who goes on a mission trip comes back and says i learned so yeah. much more than yeah. i could ever give yeah. these people so i think um how we think about world mission and supporting yeah. um world mission it's allowing it to impact us and shape us as well as um we may be trying to offer help in practical ways to others. Well, um, Malcolm, thank you for being my guest on the profile today. Uh, Malcolm Patton, again, senior pastor of Black Horse Road Baptist Church in Walthamstow and author of the new book, Leading a Multicultural Church. If you're interested in multicultural ministry, perhaps there's someone you know who would benefit from reading this book, do get hold of it, available uh, via SBCK or Christian bookshops online and so on. But thank you for being my guest on today's profile, Malcolm. And thank you for uh, allowing me to come and join the conversation. You're very welcome. Uh, My name's Justin Briley. You've been listening to The Profile, and we'll be hearing part two of today's programme in just a moment. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the second half of The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio as part of Faith Explored. The Profile brought to you in association with the magazine I edit, Premier Christianity magazine. And if you'd like to read a feature on the Great Divide, on the racial segregation that continues to exist between black and white churches in the UK and what we can do to unify them again, featuring these interviews with Israel Olofinjana and Malcolm Patton, then do go and read the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. That's at premierchristianity.com. Add slash free sample to get a free sample copy of the latest magazine. My guest in this section of the programme is the Reverend Israel Olofinjana, a Baptist minister who hails from Nigeria. Tell me a little bit of your your background, Israel. Did you um, grow up in a Christian family? Um, Yeah, grew up in a Christian family back in Nigeria. Um, Grew up in what might be regarded as an African independent church family. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we follow my mum to church every Sunday. And uh, yeah, so I grew up in that Christian family, but didn't commit myself until I was 17. Mm. That was when I committed myself to becoming a Christian. Um, so it was like following my mom, my mom's religion, but at 17, I, I adopted this as my own faith. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, uh, started getting involved in Christian ministry. And did, uh, did, did that start? In Nigeria? Yes. Uh, yeah, back in Nigeria. Um, about, we're talking about 20-something years ago now. Mm. Yeah. Um, was that a fairly kind of um, Pentecostal kind of? Yeah, Pentecostal background, Pentecostal experience. Uh, yes, and uh, getting fired up. Yeah. And uh, very exciting and yeah. passionate. Yeah. So, yeah, that, those are my roots. Uh, yeah. Nigerian Pentecostal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what um, what brought you to the UK? I came as a missionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, I came in two thousand and four to plant a Pentecostal church mm-hmm. uh, in the UK, as well as to further my theological studies uh, to do a master's degree in theology. Sorry, when was that? In two thousand and two thousand and four. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, and so that, those are the two things that brought me here. And yeah, I was going to go ahead and do the church plant. But then as I began to 
observe the church scene in London, just going around different churches, particularly African churches. Um, I saw some things that I liked, and there were some things I saw. I had lots of questions. Mm. And I was kind of thinking, if I planted that church, it possibly might just be one nationality. Mm. And I was thinking, if God has sent me here to be a missionary, uh, mm. then it is important to contextualize. Yeah. Uh, what, what was it you you didn't like about the churches that you, you saw? Well, I felt having a church in a place like London that is cosmopolitan, mm. it's good to have a multi-ethnic, yeah. multicultural church rather than monocultural church where maybe a Ghanaian leading a Ghanaian church or mm. a white British leading a white British church or a Nigerian leading a Nigerian church. Mm. I understand the reasons for that, uh, but I kind of felt what God has called me to do is different from that. Mm. And so I wanted to be involved in a multi-ethnic, multi-context, yeah, a truly multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural yeah. church. Yeah. So I left that church plan. I didn't carry it through and decided to look for an existing English church. Mm. Uh, so... I went into a Baptist church in somewhere in South East London uh, and then get involved there. Uh, it was a multicultural church. It had about 60% white and about 40% African and Caribbean. Mm. And uh, so that was my sort of learning curve and first exposure to mm. a multicultural mm. church and then later became the minister at that church. Yes. So what was the name of that church? Um, Crofton Park Baptist Church. Mm. And uh, so I became the first African minister there in about in its 100 years well, history. Well, yeah, the first ever, I assume. Yeah, first yeah. ever. Yeah. So um, what were some of the challenges going into a church which was obviously had a heritage which was obviously predominantly white yeah um how recently had it kind of adopted a slightly more multicultural feel um i think crofton park is known to be a welcoming church because since around the 60s mm. uh when caribbean started coming into the church they were very welcomed mm. and then from about 2000 you began to have african families mm. coming mm. by the time i left there were more african families coming in and now I think there's more Asians uh, in the church. Um, it was a welcoming church, so I think that really helped. Uh, and the church leader was very helpful, mm. very open, very mm. welcoming. Mm. And I think that's that's the key ingredient in mm. if you want to develop a multi-ethnic church. Yeah, you, there has to be that hospitality, that welcoming. Yeah, or else it could choke the life out of the different cultures. But that welcoming means it's saying to you that you are welcome. There were challenges. Yeah, uh, what, because, what kind uh, of challenges? Um, I think uh, there were some people who uh, said I probably have. Obviously, I have a Nigerian accent. That's not mm. going to change uh, <laughs> overnight. So some people said they struggle to hear sometimes when I preach. Uh, why you understand, obviously, what they mean, obviously, it's still kind of uh, not easy to handle mm. uh, things like that. Uh, and at times, just be misunderstood and things like that. Uh, so there were those challenges mm. uh, that you will find in any multi-ethnic setting. Yes, and, yes. Uh, so, but yeah, but... But it was it was worth it to be in did, that context. Many churches, perhaps most churches, tend to be um, where you tend to find one ethnicity gathers, um, and I, you know, it, it could be argued by some that that's that works because you know if if you're say a predominantly Nigerian con congregation, you're kind of gathering around us as well as gathering around Christ you're, you're also it's also a shared cultural identity yeah. and, and yeah. so it's natural to have a leader at the front who is also from that culture that um, identity um, and so it's a kind of a, it's a natural thing it's not something we should be too worried about it's just it's just the way it is because mm. Mm. because churches do naturally kind of tend to attract you know in those different kind of cultural uh, but do you think that's that's 
that's not a good argument. For um, I think um, arguments in favour of monoethnic or homogeneous church principle, mm. uh, you know, has been proved to be effective in terms of church growth. Mm. Uh, that um, when you have a visionary leadership uh, and that the majority of the people that share some a commonality mm. with the leadership, it tends to grow, and yeah. uh, you know. Um, and I think there is a case for that. Uh, but I suspect that um, in places where I think we might have a multicultural context, such as, say, London, Birmingham, uh, I think in such places, I think it is important to seek to be multi-ethnic, to be multicultural, to just go beyond one culture. Mm. That might be a good starting point. Mm. But I would hope that we want to move and progress. Yeah. Uh, and equally the same will be for a white majority church in London because mm. there are still white mm. majority mm, churches course, in London yeah, yeah, yeah. and in Birmingham and yeah. Cardiff and other places mm. that we almost seek to transition. We have to ask the question, who are the people in our locality that are not in our church? Mm. How can we make church accessible or mm. how can we bridge the gap yeah, yeah. so that we can connect together? So yeah. I think we have to look at our demography yeah. And then I, I believe in the biblical vision mm. uh, of Revelations uh, chapter 7. Uh, but oftentimes when people talk about Revelations chapter 7 and the vision of all tribes, every nation and language, it actually started from Genesis. Yeah. Uh, started from creation story. Yeah. God yeah. created diversity as yeah. far as I understand the creation stories. Uh, and that is the vision that underpins Abraham's call to the yeah. nations. Yeah. Uh, God yeah. changing his name from exalted father to the father mm. of nations. Mm. It's the DNA of scripture yeah. Yeah. and so we can't ignore yeah. it. I mean coming back to the issue of, of say um, a black church pastor perhaps from Nigeria Caribbean wherever that who is leading a say predominantly white church. Now that's that's a relatively rare phenomenon. Yeah that is. Um, um, what, what, firstly why why is it so rare? And and secondly, I guess, for me, a question that arises, and I don't know if you ever encountered this, would be some people who are sceptical of that might say it's difficult for a, a, a predominantly white British con- congregation, say, to be led by, say, a mm. black minister from Nigeria because the cultural differences are going to kind of be very obvious and there's going to be, like, there'll be kind of lots of missing each other, um, yeah. you know, in the ways that you're bringing things across and that's not the way they're used to things being brought across and you're not used to the way that they respond. It's not the way that it would happen in, in your own culture. So, yeah, just mm. some of those issues. What what do you think? I think um, in those kind of contexts where you have uh, an African leading, maybe a white majority church, um, I think, mm. yeah, there are cultural as well as theological and ecclesiological and missiological factors that one needs to consider. Mm. Uh, cultural, because, uh, you know, we're talking of ethnicity. At the end of the day, we are all human beings. So that we, we have to start from that point. But we have differences of the way we say things. And whether we like it or not, our culture shapes the way we interpret the scripture and see mm. the gospel. Uh, we all have cultural lenses that mm. we bring into the way we do church. And so when you begin to filter that, that begins to impact how things can be. So, for example, someone coming from an African, say, West African background, mm. it's a culture of respect. Yeah. Where, for example, you don't address the pastor or the leader by their name. You always uh, say pastor. You know, you say yeah. pastor. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you, you don't just call them by mm. name because of mm. that culture of respect for authority, whether parents, anyone older than you Mm -hmm. uh, or an elder or something. Uh, Whereas where we are in terms of British culture, uh, calling someone by their title is is not really the end thing. Uh, And so you you just call people by their names, first name terms. So so there could be a a kind of a misunderstanding there. Mm. If you have an African pastor who expects people to address him or her, yeah. Uh, by the title mm. or at least show some respect mm. uh, and then people are just treating him like hello mate yeah, you know, yeah. that sort of thing <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like okay this is different yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's negotiating things like that mm. uh, that mm. becomes very tricky yeah. uh, that you know and also theological uh, 
depending on which kind of church background yeah. uh, people are coming from. Uh, say someone is come, say the African pastor is coming from a background where he believes in prosperity gospel. Mm. Uh, that could cause a whole lot of yeah, sure. Uh, y- you know, cause a whole lot of um, because uh, from our understanding of uh, the English culture at times, we don't like to talk about money. Mm-hmm. Whereas an African wants to talk about money, yeah, uh, because it matters. Mm. Uh, so, so you have again that theological cultural distinctions yeah, there, yeah. where one wants to talk about money because they think it's important, and one feels, oh no, someone is one of those things we don't talk about. It's mm. reserved. Ah, mm. uh, is is there any kind of, or have you ever encountered any kind of racism in the church specifically? I think, um, yeah. Um, yes, I think oftentimes when people talk about racism in the church, people often refer to the 60s. Mm. Uh, but actually now there's still racism today because we are still sinful. Mm. Uh, and, and so I've seen comments uh, that times people make either out of ignorance mm-hmm. or maybe not fully understanding what they're saying mm. but w- whichever way y- y- you know there's nothing you would put it down to like okay that's uh, uh, I- I'll tell you a story mm, uh, there's a story in one of my books uh, this is based in Ireland and there was this missionary who is from Brazil and uh, he-, he came as a missionary with Latin link to Brazil I mean from Brazil to mm. uh, Northern Ireland and they were doing a lot of ministry in a particular church and uh, they were attracting a lot of you know ethnic minorities in that particular area and they were having kind of like drop-in center for you know people were coming to do English classes and they were having a drop-in center for children of those migrants coming in and one of the things that was said by the people in that church was that they don't want to allow some of their children toys or beaks to be used by the migrant children because mm. of contamination. Mm. Mm. But the way they worded it was like, oh, black children kind right. of thing. Yeah. And you know, this yeah. is kind of like tension here. Uh, <coughs> this is not 1960. We're mm. talking of mm. 2004, 5 yeah. here. Mm. Uh, mm. Recent experience. Another one. I've got a friend who lives in Kent at the moment. Is looking for a church and he's been to several places and oftentimes his family has not been accepted really uh, because they look different mm. <laughs> basically yeah. they've even been told to w- go and find another church really yeah. I mean I was going to ask how explicitly is it just that no one wants to talk to them or is it that they yeah. literally get that's told that's it no yeah. one talks to them Yeah. no one talks to them mm. and we're not talking of one church several churches these are stories these are true stories these are people sure. that I know yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, these are still some of the things that we encounter today. Uh, in how, how how given that this does still exist, like mm. it or not, in in churches, what steps for a church that perhaps has begun to recognise? Well, we may play lip service to you know equality and wanting to be welcoming to everyone, mm. but it's it's just not happening, and we don't look the same, say, as our. Yeah. the neighborhood around us yeah. Uh, yeah. for some reason yeah. how do you begin to to change that I think there had to be a culture of intentionality mm. so it's not enough to just desire it uh, and pay lip service to it it's got to be intentional action and w- which will mean that you have to be proactive what kind of thing would be you proactive have to, you have to look out for people so if I give an example in my current church Woolwich Central Baptist Church mm. uh, I intentionally look out for new people mm-hmm. people who are coming for the first time yeah. we intentionally look out for mm-hmm. them either by during the service asking if anyone visiting mm-hmm. for the first time mm-hmm. obviously not everyone likes to do that <laughs> uh, we understand that so yeah, we don't yeah. put pressure on anyone mm-hmm. but also after the service making sure that everyone that comes that is new they have a conversation with someone mm. uh, and I try to find out who they are yeah. and say hello to yeah. them and it, where possible even write a letter to acknowledge that thanks mm. for coming on Sunday hope you come and visit us again uh, that's one way of yeah. being intentional another would be you know uh, 
finding out, for example, in your area. Going back to what we said earlier, who are those people out there that are not in our church? So we have about 17 nationalities represented in our church, mm. but there are still some nationalities not represented that are out there. So mm. village where we are, we have large Nepalese, mm -hmm. we have uh, Somali, and uh, we have uh, Vietnamese. Mm. Uh, now, you know, th these are nationalities that we don't have well represented in the mm. church and we mm. would love to. Uh, but it all starts by just being conscious and mm. just being, uh, there's something that, you know, Baptist pastors are asked to do, the mission audit. That is, what is your church doing? What are you providing? And mm. what is out there in mm. the community? And then ma match it together yeah. and see where the gaps are. Uh, that has been intentional. Yeah. Uh, that That is seeking to gain some understanding so that you know what the needs are so that you can see how you can begin to yeah. put actions into address it. Because if you don't know, you're just going to be aiming for nothing. Uh, and so you need to have an intentional plan and, yeah. you know, go about it. We know that over the last several decades, um, immigration uh, to the UK and, if you like, second generation um, people who've grown up in the UK as well, um, have formed some of the largest churches in, in the UK by a denomination like RCCG mm. or something yeah. like that, or individual churches like Jesus House in London, um, Kingsway International Christian Centre, yeah. uh, New Wine in Woolwich, and those sorts of places. Large um, congregations, but pr primarily mm. um, black congregations. And, and so, so there's, I think that kind of maybe feeds into the idea that you can have very large churches, but the, yeah. it tend, seems to, you know, natural, the natural kind of course is that they tend to, to be aiming at a specific a kind of culture and, and background and so on. Um, and you don't see that many, and I could, uh, could be wrong, of mm. the, those churches that are really growing that have a really truly diverse kind of congregation. Mm. Um, why, mm. why is that, do you think? I think there is something here we need to firstly understand. Mm. Um, if I take some of those big churches, for example... I think what a lot of people might not realize is that from an outsider's perspective, mm. everyone in those churches look black. Right. But there is diversity in blackness. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and at times, I think, uh, you know, when I look at KICC or New mm. Wine in Woolwich, where we mm. are, mm. I look at those congregations. Uh, you see on Sunday, everyone that goes there looks black. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, what does not tell you is that there are people from different parts of Africa. Uh, and so within those churches, diversity already exists. More, more diversity than often is in, that often is in the, than often in the than white appears. majority church yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Because people have come from different places. Mm. Uh, uh, but because the term black is used as a blank canvas, sure. mm. uh, that is not seen. Mm. And so in those kind of churches like here, as you say, they actually have lots of nationalities, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of, you know, people from different social mm. status mm. and background, mm. uh, you, you know, different tribes if they're from mm. Africa. Mm. Uh, and when you put all that together, it's actually, uh, I actually think we need to think, rethink the term black majority church right. mm. and change it to black multicultural church right uh because yeah. of that point yeah uh because i think uh that is the case yeah uh in many of those churches there are some churches that you go in it's majority nigerian yeah or majority Ghanaian. Mm. but equally there are those you go there are Ghanaians, there are mm. syrianians mm. cameroonians people from ivory coast people from kenya uganda tanzania Mm. All these people are different. I think there is a question that both white and black churches are wrestling with, and that is the question that why is it that white British don't no longer go to church? Mm -hmm. It's a big question yep. for all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think until we begin to tackle that question uh, as churches together, uh, I think we'll probably continue to polarize mm. uh, because it, it, it's a big issue that mm. we need to look at that why is it that just... Mm white British people are not interested mm. in church yeah. any longer. Yeah. And and we have to also be take it further uh working classes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why is yeah. it yeah. that why is they it are a middle not, class exactly. sort of 
church that essentially exists. Because yeah. the way I see it, you know, looking at the church in the UK, it appears overtly white middle class. Mm. Uh, and so we have to ask all those questions uh, that why is it? Where mm. did the shift mm. happen? Mm. Why are we mm. where we are? Mm. And and I think this is where all these fresh expressions of church uh, incarnate network from the Baptist and pioneer network and other things are beginning to address some of these questions about okay we need to think in terms of missional communities or yeah. in terms of fresh expressions yeah. on the church how can we have a church in a pub how can we do a church in a pub you know to begin to bridge those gaps yeah. because if yeah. people are not coming to us yeah. then surely we have to find ways of connecting and going to them and that's something that black churches have to mm. work around as well we all have to work around it do you, do you think the future is truly multicultural though for the church do you feel like it is going in the right direction do, do you see churches increasingly emerging that, that do feel like they have a, a genuinely kind of multicultural feel yes I think it is uh, I think especially some of the churches being started by those second and third mm. generation mm. they want to do things differently yeah. from their parents or if they are you know involved in some of those new expressions of churches mm. they want to yeah uh, do it differently uh, mm. and so I think as UK continue to be multicultural because I you know it will continue mm. whether we like it or not and mm. you know all those other places that look maybe very white at the moment people are moving out yeah. uh, because of London obviously being expensive mm-hmm. people are moving out and as mm. people begin to move out you know you everyone we have to come to terms with we have to just think multicultural yeah yeah uh, multi-ethnic because, yeah because when you think of the face of the church in the uk it's multicultural yeah yeah and so when you think of the mission context is you in uk is multicultural mm. and to address a multicultural context you need a multicultural missionary movement mm. Mm. which is the church in the uk yeah uh and so because of that you, you, you know how do we reach out to the Hindus? How do we yeah, reach out to the yeah, Muslims? How yeah. do we reach out to uh, those communities out there? How do we reach out to atheists, agnostics? Mm, mm. So you will definitely going to need a multicultural mm. missionary movement, yeah, uh, yeah. which the church has to emerge yeah. uh, and tackle because that's the mission context in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to The Profile with me, Justin Briley. If you'd like to listen again to today's programme, you can go online, premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile, where you can also find links to the podcast of The Profile, an easy way to listen to the back catalogue of interviews while on the go. And don't forget, you can find our feature on the great divide between black and white churches and how we can unify them in the March edition of Premier Christianity magazine. Go online and ask for a free sample copy at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample i've been justin Briley, your host for the profile look forward to being with you again at the same time next week right now time to hand over to dave rose with premier playback